In the 1780s, when a young fiery Baptist minister, William Carey, stood up before the London Missionary Society and laid out his burden to serve the Lord by going to India to preach the gospel to the natives there, a crusty old senior minister stood up and said, Young man, young man, sit down, sit down. When God wants to save the heathen, he'll do without my help or yours. Now, if you aren't a Calvinist, you probably assume that that's exactly what Calvinists believe. This fatalist notion that if God wants people to be saved, if he wants the elect to be saved, he'll save them when he wants to without my help or yours. So there's no reason to evangelize. As we continue on tonight in our series on unconditional election, we're going to take on the challenge to the doctrine of sovereign election. Which is, if you believe in sovereign, unconditional election, then there's no reason to evangelize. And that's what a lot of you are thinking tonight, and that's why you reject it. Because you think that if you believe this, your church will no longer be interested in reaching out to the lost. We're going to take on that objection tonight and see if that's really what Calvinists think about the doctrine of election. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Well, I want to thank you uh, for joining us again tonight on Sinners and Saints. We're continuing on our series on TULIP, that famous Calvinistic acronym. We've studied total depravity, and we've been working on uh, you, unconditional election now, for several weeks. Uh, we laid out the whole doctrine, of course, and what it means to believe in sovereign election. And then lately, we've been taking on a, a series of objections. And tonight, we want to bring it back to these objections again to the doctrine of sovereign election because we know a lot of you people are listening to this and you believe it's biblical, but it's hard for you to embrace this doctrine because you still have these doubts. You still have these objections that you've heard before. And one objection I continually hear to this when I talk with people who don't hold the Calvinistic position on election is that if you hold this view, you won't have any interest in going out to reach out to the lost, just like this old uh, Baptist minister in the 18th century tried to block Carey to go out, which really kicked off the greatest century of missions that uh, we've known since the apostolic age. And um, what's our response to that tonight generally as Calvinists? Do, do we believe this idea of just sort of let go and let God, uh, we're the frozen chosen, so he's got his elect out there and uh, you build that they will come, but other than that, you don't have to really do anything about reaching out. Well, from a historical perspective, we'd have to say that that is definitely a slanderous accusation because the modern missions movement was not founded by Arminians. It was founded by the Calvinists. It was men like William Carey, but also in the United States, there was a group called the Haystackers. You can read about them in your history books. But they were Calvinists, primarily Congregationalists and Presbyterians, who got together and said, we need to preach the gospel of grace to the lost world. And they formed the missions movement in the United States. And they went all over the world. And there's graveyards filled with their bodies because they stayed out there their whole lives and ultimately died in the field in order that the gospel would be preached to the heathen nations. And they did this being reformed, Calvinistic, and believing in unconditional election. Okay, 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 but wait a second. Isn't there some truth in the old adage that in every caricature 
there is a trace of truth. Do you think people are making this charge based upon their experience? They don't know anything about William Carey. They don't know anything about the 19th century, the greatest century of missions ever. But what they do know is they've seen these hardcore Calvinist churches or friends that they know who've taken on this doctrine. And all of a sudden, it looks like their whole evangelistic fervor and zeal is just dried up. And all they're interested in now is arguing about doctrinal truth, and they don't care about reaching out to souls. Is, is there some uh, kernel of truth in that? I don't think we have any problem tonight admitting uh, that there are people who are newly introduced to the uh, doctrines of grace as we've been explaining them that become utterly obnoxious and uh, take it upon themselves to beat everybody down with these uh, theological truths which nobody has been introduced to before and uh, com- become completely unba- unbalanced in their approach to the Christian life in general by just arguing doctrine all the time. And I don't think we have any problem admitting that some Reformed churches have become slack and have perverted their own doctrine of election by sitting on their benches of their churches, by becoming complacent, by becoming uh, completely desensitized to the needs of those around them, uh, to unbelievers and uh, even believers who are not as mature in the uh, doctrines of the Scripture as they are. We have no problem admitting that. But the question that we want to ask, I think, is whether or not that is really the Calvinistic view, or that's a perversion of it also. Okay, well, let me just say here, obviously, there's truth in the caricature. There, there, there are plenty of Reformed people out there who don't lift a finger to try to bring anybody in the kingdom. But that's true with, with almost any denomination you can find out there. The question is, is it peculiar to Calvinists? Is it peculiar to people who are who are sold on the idea that Scripture teaches absolutely a sovereign election unto salvation? Is there anything inherent in this doctrine which would permit, which would uh, give me the excuse not to evangelize? No, I would say that it's that itself is actually a betrayal of the Calvinistic view. A biblical Calvinistic doctrine, the historic Calvinistic doctrine, not only teaches that God chooses those who will be saved, but says that as a consequence of that, we passionately reach out to the lost. We pour all of our efforts into preaching the gospel, which is the means that God uses to bring his elect into his kingdom. I also don't fully agree with the accusations in that if these people have all been in discussions or arguments with Calvinists trying to talk to them about the doctrines of grace and particularly election, it's that these people were reaching out to them and trying to inform them and get them to see and understand the wonders of God's grace. I don't see how you can say that that's not a zeal or that that is sitting back and doing nothing. Okay, but in response to that, they're going to say, well, that's just a person who's already a believer, who already uh, accepts the Bible as an authoritative standard. But we're talking about just straight out unbelievers right out of the gutter of life. Do you generally find Calvinists, you know, trying to be involved in the soup kitchens, the rescue missions, trying to deal with those who are... Uh, who are wrestling with their bondage to, to, to drug addiction or whatever, do you generally find these Calvinists after them trying to evangelize them? Well, being in Reformed churches myself for maybe five or six years now, I would say that my impression of the churches before I came in may have been more that than what is reality. In other words, a lot of people that have this impression that Calvinist churches are dead and not interested in outreach, there is some truth in that. But a lot of it comes from people who are, frankly, not involved in any Reformed church and don't see the work that uh, Christians are doing in Calvinist churches to reach out to others. The other thing is, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, 
evangelism from a Calvinistic perspective is different. So sometimes people will look at the Calvinist church and say, well, I don't see your crusade, or I don't see your huge evangelistic tent meeting, and therefore the Calvinist church must not be interested in evangelism. You're not going door to door, knocking on everybody's door in the neighborhood, harassing them at all hours of the day and night. Walking walking around on the beach, you know, (laughs) going around to the the hottest girl that you can find and give her a track. So therefore you're not evangelistic. Well, you raise some good questions here, and maybe some of it is is perception, maybe some is about the way we go about it. We come back after the break. We're going to talk some more about this whole objection, whether our views on Calvin really stunt the growth of the church and throw a wet blanket on our evangelistic zeal. So stick with us after the break. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Hi, this is Reverend John Sautel, pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Back after the break here on Sinners and Saints tonight, we want to thank you for joining us again. And if uh, you'd like to learn more about these issues or other uh, issues uh, pertaining to the Reformed faith, we'd love to talk to you. Give us a call, 866-99-UNITED, or check us out on the web, sinnersaint.org. So we're continuing on with this objection to uh, the Calvinistic understanding of sovereign election or unconditional election. And uh, the one serious objection is, well, if you hold this view, you're not going to be very zealous for the gospel, the spread of Christ's kingdom, for evangelizing people. And, of course, we know that's a caricature. But I I wonder whether part of the problem exists on the conception that opponents of Calvinism have of the role election plays when you go to do evangelism. I'll just give you a little story. A a pastor told me one time, he says, I view uh, the Calvinistic God and the Calvinistic doctrine of election like this, uh, where you have a guy who's in distress on a sinking ship, and a guy in a helicopter is on a bullhorn overhead uh, who's just let a rope down and says, here, grab this rope, jump to safety, Uh, I'll save you. But what you didn't know is that the guy in the helicopter first went down the rope and nailed the guy's feet to the, sh- the floorboard of the ship and then climbed back up the rope and then shouted with his bullhorn, now come to safety. You see, that's the conception of the Calvinistic doctrine of uh, election, is that God nails the feet down and then dangles a rope of safety out to the unbeliever and then tries to evangelize. And you say, well, if you hold that view of election... Of course you're not going to evangelize. Do you think that's probably part of the problem here, just a conception? Yeah, I think it's their uh, philosophical prejudice or presupposition that tells them that it's not possible to believe in sovereign grace and take away human responsibility, which, by the way, we don't take away human responsibility. But because of that, everything they see is colored by that as well. 
And then they make it so that if you are beginning to understand Reformed doctrine in a non-Reformed church, that they're not going to let you teach. They're not going to let you do anything. And they say, well, look, you know, we're doing all this stuff. You're not. Well, you shut me out. But to them, it's like, well, it's because you don't you don't think like we do, and you believe that the feet are nailed to the deck of the ship. Look, it's our purpose tonight, one of our purposes, to clarify what exactly we believe about the relationship between election and evangelism. We certainly believe that God chooses those whom he will save, and it's a certain number, it's a fixed number, that will never change. But listen, the means by which he draws those elect people in is through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Romans 10:14 How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent Calvinists believe that God has chosen a certain amount of people to be saved and the way he reaches them with the knowledge of salvation is the preaching of the gospel it is evangelism the gospel call goes out and people who have been made alive by the Spirit respond to that gospel message. If they don't hear the preaching of the gospel, those people will not be brought in, and that is our motivation to get out there with zeal and passion and resources and preach the gospel to people who are lost so that God will bring them in. So and I, if we could sum it up this way, it sounds as if what you're saying is, is this. You are evaluating evangelism based upon your cookie-cutter approach to evangelism passing out tracks in a cold call situation. You don't know anybody. You don't know this guy from Adam. You go knocking on doors. You go standing on a street corner, and you're just dumping tracks off of people. It's hit-and-run evangelism. And if you don't do that, then you're not evangelizing. But if I understand what you're saying, you're saying, no, that's that's not even what evangelism is to begin with. Well, that's right. Or the other, the common one that I hear all the time is, where are the Reformed Crusades? You know, where are the things where you get all of these people together and get them all whooped up with uh, exciting music and maybe the, the cool celebrity that uh, supposedly has become a Christian and bring all of them into this, you know, stadium and tell them all at once. Okay, where, you know, well, okay, where are they? I mean, we did this at the Great Awakening. I mean, you, you've heard of George Whitfield, obviously. Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached to uh, thousands uh, at least Whitfield did at a time. I mean, and he was Calvinist, right? Exactly. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that that is necessarily the best or the right way to do these things. What we're saying is that the whole point of what God has done is to glorify His own name, and what we need to do then is to do things in a manner that does continue to glorify His name. That is our purpose: is to worship the one true God and to give Him glory. And yes, He does desire many to be saved, and He has called us to preach the word. But that doesn't mean that gimmicks need to be used to try to artificially pressure or sell Christianity to people. And that's what, unfortunately, is being done. And then we're being judged on that standard of saying, look, you're not following the gimmicks we've created. Okay, so you're saying it's a gimmick. I'm calling to, it a gimmick. To put on, put on a sideshow to attract a bunch of people so that you can dupe them into coming and being entertained and then bait and switch at the last minute and so-called present the gospel. Well, Billy Graham's organization has done follow-up surveys. And for all those people, not who attended, but who came down to give their lives to Christ... Less than 2% are involved in a church less than one year or one year later. Well, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence in the method. They okay, came but what for about the, the show. 2% then? Why not do it for the 2%? How do you know that we're not reaching that 2% through the ordinary means of grace and the preaching of the word? That's an accusation. Well, this comes back to the question of what is the kind of evangelism that God lays out for us in his word? I mean, if somebody could prove to me that um, imitating the culture 
in a number of different ways, labeling the rock band and the drama skit and whatever other program is supposed to appeal to people in the name of Christ is the way that you should bring people in so that then they can hear the word preached. If you could show me that in the scripture, then we'd be all for it. The, the thing of it is you don't find it in the scripture. You find evangelism in the scripture as the preaching of the gospel and of people getting to know their neighbor and bringing them to the preaching of the gospel. And that's not what these big crusades and these big programs, so-called evangelism, are all about. And that's why we don't do it that way. All right, Adam, you've challenged us to go back to the scripture, you fundamentalist, you. Uh, after the break, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the scripture. We're going to see if Paul had, had big uh, dramatic productions to go preach the gospel and to try to bring people into the kingdom. So stay tuned with us after the break. We're going to come back and talk about what did the apostles use to attract all these people to Christ. Stay with us. Reformation Radio. Theology with an edge. Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hear the gospel faithfully preached. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santa Anita exit of the 210 freeway. Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. Hi, this is Pastor Biro of Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. We are a new Reformed Church serving all of South Bay. As a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, Grace Evangelical Church emphasizes the preaching of the gospel, weekly administration of the Lord's Supper, catechism of our children, and emphasis on the singing of the Psalms, all in a family-friendly atmosphere. Come, worship with us. You can reach us at area code 310-782-7019. Okay, we're back here. Before the break, uh, Adam, you called us out, and you said we needed to go back to Scripture and analyze uh, what was the biblical method of doing evangelism by the apostles. Uh, as you sift through the New Testaments, do, do we have any examples, for instance, of, of how they engaged the unbelievers around them so they get a hearing for the gospel? Well, you definitely see in the Athenian model in Acts 17 where Paul has gone into a city and then he goes where people like to discuss and debate things. He doesn't just go assault anybody who's walking down the sidewalk. He goes to the little place where people want to talk, and there he begins to engage them. He does some apologetic work there. I wouldn't call that evangelism initially. But the idea is to gain a hearing by going to those who want to discuss. And that's, again, one of the things that we like to do as reformers. We believe what we have is so precious, it is not to be thrown before swine. It cannot just be randomly put out to people who don't want to hear it. It has to be put out for those who desire to, to discuss these matters. Okay, well, how are we going to do that? If you're sitting around thinking, well, I don't know if they're elect or not, how do I know that they really have a sincere desire? Is that how you approach this? Well, no, I say the broader pattern that we have in the scriptures that Christians in their daily lives build relationships and friendships with their neighbors and their co-workers. They uh, commit themselves to living a holy life and uh, outsiders will see that and as you're building relationships with these people, you bring them into the, con you invite them to church, you bring them into the context of the preaching of the gospel. Now, that sounds boring to some people, but that's actually hard work and that is the pattern that we have. Okay, clearly that is a pattern you see in the New Testament. But are there any examples, for instance, of, say, the Apostle Paul going uh, to the city of Corinth, let's say, and going to uh, the Corinth players and renting them out to do a dramatic production there at one of the many amphitheaters? Of course, the Greeks would have loved that because they love the theater. 
No, what you actually see is where Paul is acting as a light. And so when the Philippian jail has all the doors opened, instead of escaping, they remain there. And the Philippian jailer is shocked. Why didn't you escape? And then they preach the gospel to him. They act as believers. They are light in the darkness. As a consequence, the discussion comes up, and then they preach the gospel. You see, this is what continues to myth me about this whole uh, gimmick approach to evangelism. And, and I'll agree that the New Testament doesn't record every detail about how the apostles went about their ministries. But don't you think that if they use something like a big dramatic production uh, or a big dog and pony show that somewhere... That Fireworks, yeah, contemporary that music. Recorded somewhere? I mean, if it's really... This is the cutting edge today as a way to get people uh, distracted away from everything so that you'll finally get them to a point where they'll listen. Christian sumo wrestling. Why wouldn't they do it then? There's no evidence. I think one of the problems is that there is a mindset, and I think people need to really analyze why do they evangelize the way they do. And quite frankly, I think most people view themselves in a competition or a race with God. God is basically waiting for people to die to judge them and send them to hell. And you basically are trying to outflank God and get to these people beforehand. (laughs) If you do, they get saved. And so anywhere, anytime, you're shoving it down people's throats so that God doesn't have their days run out. We, on the other hand, believe God loves. God has chosen sinners to save them through the blood of his son. And therefore, we are content with the means he has appointed. Preaching of the word, as Adam read from Romans 10. Unless they are sent and the word is preached, the people will not hear. Since we believe in God's love, we believe that the means he has appointed is how he will glorify his name and save those whom he loved and elected to salvation. Yeah, the point is, in the New Testament, you see Jesus, you see the apostles going into the synagogues. You see uh, the apostles going into towns and finding the place where there are religious discussions already. Uh, People that are talking about God. Uh, the the deeper things of life and addressing uh, the Christian view of those things to them, proclaiming the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ to those people. And that's where you see the greatest growth in the church. I mean, I think of Acts 2, when uh, Peter stands up before all of these people who are religious Jews and they're wanting to see the fulfillment of the Scripture. What's going on in these days? And he stands up and proclaims the fulfillment of the Scriptures in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is true growth in the church, explosive growth. Another text here from the book of Acts, which clearly connects election and evangelism, is from Acts chapter 18. Paul has been preaching in the city there. He's also been building relationships. He's been working the town there as a, as a tent maker, going to the synagogues. Uh, it hasn't exactly turned out great for him because it's caused a revolt and riot. He's discouraged. He's ready to go on, and he receives a vision. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. I have many people in this city. You see, Paul is encouraged by God to stay the course of doing evangelistic missionary work in Corinth because God says, I have people in this city. See, Paul's confidence in evangelism here is grounded in the sovereign election of God that there are people there, so his labors will not be futile. The text goes on to say he spent a year and a half evangelizing and doing missionary work in Corinth. That's part of the beauty of it. We're not saving strangers. When we believe in the doctrine of election, we believe that God is using us to reach our brothers and sisters whom he has loved. And so the passion is actually higher. But because we believe our Father's will will never be thwarted, we are willing to also do it his way and for his glory. Yeah, I think that really gets down to the big difference between how Reformed people should be doing evangelism and how 
you know the rest of people will be doing it you got to knock yourself off a pedestal people you got to realize that at the end of the day it's not about you uh, it's not about getting as many numbers as you can so you can publish them in the next update letter and support letter for your upcoming crusade or whatever it's about giving God glory for the work that he is doing and you have to realize that you're a tool that's all we are you know we're not the ones that make the seed grow we plant the seed so uh, at the end of the day here's what you do if you're a Calvinist you go out and you live a godly life you make friends with unbelievers you work out, hard you work hard you have a good witness before men and when you are given the opportunity to present your faith, you do it well. You do it winsomely, and in the meantime, you invite them to the church where they can sit under the powerful preaching of the Word of God and hear Christ speak to his sheep. And when he does, the Word of God says, his sheep will hear his voice. That's Reformed evangelism. That's biblical evangelism. And unconditional election in no way stifles zeal. It only cultivates it so that when you do go evangel do evangelism, you will be doing it with the certainty that it will produce fruits because God chose the very ones he wants to come to him when the word is proclaimed. Thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Get a hold of us, 866-99-UNITED, or check us out, sinnersaint.org. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's word on Sinners and Saints, theology with an edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED. Hi there, this is uh, Reverend John Sautel, co-host of Sinners and Saints. Uh, do you live in the Chino Hills or Diamond Bar area? Well, if you do, I want to extend a very special invitation to you to come join us to study the Word of God. On Tuesday evenings at 7.30 at Chino Hills High School, we're currently studying through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to join us, just give me a call at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or for more information, check us out at allsaintsreform.org. That's allsaintsreform.org.